Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. An optical illusion is something that appears, it deceives the eye by appearing to be something other than what it really is. But when, we, when I say deceives the eye, you know, it's really the brain that's getting deceived. The brain is fooled. It's all about our perception of what we see. Okay, so let's look at the first one. You maybe have seen this before, the impossible fork. Right? Does it have two tines or three? Right? It's just a, it's, obviously it's not a real thing, but it's a drawing that, you know, kind of a little confusing. The next one. Okay, which of these dots in the center is bigger? Can you tell? They, they are the same, but they don't look the same, do they? I mean, they don't to my eye. It's just what's around. And in fact, the next slide, I delete the dots around, and, and they're obviously the same. <laughs> it's just a funny thing that our, that our mind does. And the next one. Now, what is this? What are we looking at? Doesn't it look like a spiral? It does to me. I hadn't seen this one before. But it's not. Go ahead, advance one more. It's just a circle. But because of the way it's drawn, your eye sees a spiral. Okay, here's one. This one you have to stare at for a little bit. So stare right in the center where those four dots are. And just for, uh, for a few seconds here while I ramble on about nothing. <laughs> so you stare. <laughs> Keep staring at then, okay, now look away, look up at the, at the ceiling, and what do you see? Jesus. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Just, it, it really works, it's an after image thing. You can do it with color too. Okay, the next one. This is a familiar uh, logo that you guys know, but do you notice a hidden, anything hidden in there? The arrow. It is, go ahead, next. There's an arrow right there. It's just hiding in there, right? I, I, didn't, I didn't know it was there. Makes sense. Um, okay, here's one. We'll do this one together. Okay, so we're gonna say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're gonna say the color that we see there, not the words, okay? So I got this, so red, let's take it, the red, blue, orange. Green, <laughs> <laughs> there you go, good. It's harder, harder than it seems, right? What I think is funny is that a little kid would do really well at this. They can't read. <laughs> it's all about what you're reading, right? It's, your, it's how it works. Okay, the next one. Here's a, okay, this sentence. You got to look closely. How many F's do you see here? I'll give you just a few seconds to... Finished files are the result of years of scientific study combined with the experience of years. How many F's are in there? Four. Say it out if you... Yeah, I heard four. Actually, there are six. <laughs> Hit the next slide. See, there's the ones that are easy at the beginning, but the of's, there's what get you. Yeah, I don't know, we just, we skip over words. Okay. Here's, here's one that I just thought was cool, the next one. 
see teach and it's inverse reflection, learn. I thought that was just kind of cool. <laughs> All right, and the next one. There's, there's something wrong with this. Yeah, you're right, you saw it fast. I, I, I got a kick out of this because I've known this one for a long time. But Paris in the, the spring, there's two thes. But your eye skips over it. And I showed this to my wife who's like a, she does, you know, editing and stuff like that, proofreading. She didn't see it because, you know, she looked at it a bunch of times but until I pointed it out. And once you, once you see it there, it's pretty obvious. Okay, and one more. Okay, I've, said, I've mentioned before, there was a time before spaces were invented. Yep. And so you look at this, and what do you see? <laughs> okay, go ahead, the next, next slide. Have you ever seen abundance on the table? What else, there's another thing you could see, the next slide. <laughs> so those, those spaces are important. There's, there's a, obviously, there's a lot more of these kind of things. But it's just, a, just an indication that, you know, our, our, it's, it's, not only have we have to see these things, but our brain, that's how our brain interprets them. That's the thing that's interesting, I think. So let's pray. Father, speak to us through your word this morning. Speak through me. Let me not say things that aren't true. Let me... Um, just say words, the words, reveal your word through me. Um, I thank you for everyone here this morning. Uh, please give us focus and let us not be distracted by the false perceptions of the world. Amen. Okay. So please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. So if you remember a few weeks ago, Paul and Barnabas came back from their missionary journey, the first one, and they were at the church in Antioch in Syria. Back in, back in 15 verse 1, some, then some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So what were they saying? What were they saying? Unless you're circumcised. What? Because most of the Christians in Antioch were Gentiles and they weren't Jewish, these men were telling the believers that they had to follow the entire Old Testament law to basically become Jewish before they could truly be saved. So Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. Because, of course, that's not true. We aren't saved by our works or by anything that we do. We're saved by God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. So the church sent Paul and Barnabas up to Jerusalem. And by the way, it's always up to Jerusalem and down from Jerusalem. You notice that? They always talk about it that way. There in Jerusalem, they all got together, and the Apostle Peter said in Acts 15.11, but we believe that we, the Jewish people, are saved through the grace of God of the Lord, <laughs> through the grace of the Lord Jesus, in the same way as they, the Gentiles, also are. They were having this big discussion. James agreed with Peter and suggested that they write a letter to the Gentile Christians in Antioch. So that's where we start today in verse 22. 
It seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So the whole Jerusalem church and its leaders sent their best men to Antioch. Why? To make sure believers understood what they were telling them and to encourage the Gentile church there. This is my first point. Correcting wrong Christian doctrine is important. It's a high priority. And it should be for us too. That's why they chose leading men. They cared about the Christians in Antioch that might be led astray by these, by these Judaizers. And Silas, it mentions here, he'd go on to be one of Paul's companions on his missionary journeys, and then even one of Peter's companions. It, he's also called Silvanus. He's from the Jeru Jerusalem church, like Barnabas was. He's mentioned in numerous places, like a little later in Acts uh, 15, verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. That's the beginning of their second journey. In Acts 16, 25, they're in jail together. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That's a good story that's coming up. But then when Paul writes to the, first, to the Thessalonians, this first letter, and the second letter too, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. And then when Peter writes his letter, First um, Peter 5.12, through Silvanus, our faithful brother, that's Silas also, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So he went on to be a very important guy. Verse 23, and they sent this letter by them, by uh, Judas and Silas. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles, greetings. So this is, a, this is a kind of a formal Greek letter, like we say, dear John, something like that. It was written in Greek, which wasn't their you know, everyday language, rather than Hebrew. The Jewish congregation of Jerusalem was doing their best to communicate clearly in the style of the Greek-speaking brothers and sisters in Antioch. They weren't claiming to be superior to the Gentile Christians because we're all brothers, sisters, right? And by the way, Antioch is in Syria, which is part of, I don't have a map this time, is <laughs> part of modern-day Syria, and Cilicia, as mentioned, is a region near it to the north, part of modern-day Turkey. Verse 24. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling, their so unsettling your souls, what they're saying here is that we did not send or authorize those guys. I like, I, I've got a few of the Greek words that are used for these here today. The Greek word for disturbed is terasso. It means to stir up, to cause great distress, to trouble, to throw into confusion. And the Greek word for unsettling is anaskiwadzo, to cause distress, to trouble, to upset, to literally shaking up. So they were both shaken and stirred. Get it? That's bad, bad joke. Couldn't, couldn't pass it up, though. <laughs> 
the Christians, <laughs> the Christians in Jerusalem were bothered that these Judaizers were misleading their brothers and sisters in Antioch. So they were sending this letter. Verse 25. Since we've heard this, verse 25, it seemed good to us, having become, become of one mind. Wait, so become of one mind meant they were unified in this. That's my second point. Christian unity is a main quality of being a believer in Christ. But what is unity? We talk about that. But it's, unity is not uniformity. It's not being the same. It's not egalitarianism. There's, there's a mouthful. We don't have to look the same or think the same. It doesn't mean always agreeing. But it does mean agreeing on the important things and not arguing about things which are not important. This is, I mean, this is kind of a hard thing in our culture today, I think. Unity is possible because of the love we have for each other and that the Holy Spirit gives us. Colossians 3.14, beyond all things, these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. In Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I think it's not so much a natural thing as something that the Holy Spirit helps us to do. But just like we read earlier in Acts, Acts 2, verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to the number day by day those who were being saved. It's a, that's unity. Back to verse 25. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, Barnabas and Paul certainly had risked their lives, right? Remember this a few weeks ago, Acts 14, 19? But Jews came from Antioch, and Iconium, having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Later on, Paul lists out, uh, gave us a big list of ways that he'd risked his life. In 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 27, this is Paul. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, we just read that. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night in the day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's, that doesn't sound like any fun at all. <laughs> but yet... That's what, it shows what was important to Paul, right? He, um, he risked, his lives for the name of, risked his life for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, therefore, we've sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. In other words, these are the men, these are the men we authorized, not those other guys. They're, they're going to help explain it to you. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit whose purpose is to give us unity and understanding. Right? 
John 16, 13, Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. No greater burden. So what they're saying here is you don't have to follow the whole law in order to become Christians. You don't have to become Jewish first to be followers of Christ. I mean, that's, that's the gist of the whole, the whole purpose of what they're saying. These guys are wrong. In the no greater burden, Matthew 11.30, Jesus says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It doesn't mean trying to, trying to follow the law and failing. Acts 15, 10 and 11, Peter says, it's just a little earlier during the, uh, a little earlier. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. So that was, the, that was the main part of the letter, but there's, there's another thing too in verse 29. Um, we lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. It's a short letter. But here what they're saying is, Stay away from these four things. Eating meat sacrificed to idols, eating or drinking blood, or eating meat with blood still in it, and fornication. But why? Is this, are, we, is that, are they trying to add something? No. The last thing on the list, sexual sin, is, is something that was very common in the Gentile culture and not considered wrong by the culture at, culture at large, much like our culture today. The first three things have to do with not eating certain things, things that the Jewish people were not supposed to eat in the Old Testament. In fact, these would, would have been offensive to most Jews. Back in Deuteronomy 12, 23, Moses is speaking to Israel and he says, only be sure not to eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. It's certainly not saying, the letter is not saying that they need to avoid these types of food in order to be saved. They weren't adding something to the gospel. The reason the Gentile Christians were asked to avoid these is so that they could have fellowship, meaning eating a meal, right? That's kind of how we do too, with the Jewish believers. So there's my third point. We must not let our freedom in Christ become a stumbling block to other Christians. So Paul explains this really well in Romans 14, 15. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. And more in 1 Corinthians 8, 8. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do eat, nor the better if we do, <laughs> we are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, 
Will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is, ru he who is, weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. So how does that apply to us today? I mean, I don't see a section in the meat department that for meat sacrifice to idols or <laughs> strangled or whatever. But I think a great example today is beer and wine. Nowhere in the Bible are we told not to drink these. It's not wrong. But in our culture today, alcohol is abused constantly. So we can choose not to drink it so that we don't cause our brother to stumble. And, you know, I, I have another reason, too, because I used to abuse it. And I want to stay away, as far away as I can from that path. Maybe I'm the one with the weak conscience. Verse 30. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced. They, meaning the people in Antioch, the Christians, rejoiced because of its encouragement. They rejoiced because they didn't have to follow the Old Testament law in order to be saved. They had been saved by grace through faith. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 32, Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. The Greek word for encouraged is parakaleo. It means to encourage, to console, to urge, to implore, to exhort, literally to call to one side. And the Greek word for strengthen, episterizo, it means to strengthen, to cause someone to be stronger or more firm, especially of believers in connection with their commitment and resolve to remain true, especially in the face of troubles. So it says Judas and Silas were prophets. We don't use that term to call people much anymore, but what, what did that mean then? 1 Corinthians 14.3, But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. Ephesians 4.11, And he, God, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. That's what they were doing. I noticed that Luke says it was a lengthy message <laughs> as a very positive thing. I don't think they limited the message to 30 minutes. I guess maybe they had a longer attention span in those days. I don't know. Verse 34. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Now, here's something that's kind of odd. Some Bibles don't have verse 34. What's up with that? The English Standard Version, the New Revised Standard Version, and the New International Version, which, by the way, are all excellent translations, don't have verse 34. Have our Bibles been censored? No, 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 no. <laughs> Even the New American Standard and the New King James have footnotes about this verse. So I want to step aside from Acts for just a minute and talk about how our Bibles are created. 
not about how they're physically bound. Like my tablet, it's not physically bound at all, right? It's still a Bible. <laughs> but how they're translated from the Greek original. There's literally thousands of ancient handwritten copies called manuscripts of the books of the New Testament. They've been discovered. And, and guess what? They're not all identical. They didn't have copiers back then. Remember the old Xerox commercial, anybody? The monks? That's, <laughs> like anything copied by hand, there are differences. Some are as simple as misspelled words or duplicate words. Remember Paris in the, the spring? Yeah. They didn't have spell checkers or grammar checkers. Sometimes there was confusion because there were no spaces between the words. Remember, have you ever seen a bun dance on the table? Yeah, that could cause some confusion. Sometimes the copyist would intentionally change a word or phrase in an, in an attempt to make it more clear or to add continuity to the story. You may not have thought about this kind of thing before, but it's why Silver Lake Baptist Church's affirmation of faith says as its very first point, the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God fully inspired and without error in the original manuscripts written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. There's, there's my fourth point right out of there. The word, is God, the word of God is fully inspired and without error in the original manuscripts. But we don't have the original manuscripts. We don't have the original letters. So how do they decide which ones are the ones to, to use? The couple of criteria are they use here. The age of the manuscript they found and the geographic area that it came from. Older manuscripts are generally closer to the original, right? They probably have fewer errors. And that makes sense. If one has an error, everything copied from it will probably have the same error. And that's why location plays a part too. If a certain variant was found on manuscripts with a wide geographic distribution, it, it, it's more likely to be like the original. But this sounds complicated, even overwhelming. But here's the thing. These variations are almost all very minor. The Greek New Testament contains not only the best choice of the original manuscript words, this, I'm sorry, this Greek New Testament, contains not only the best choice of the original manuscript words, but all the significant variations. They're all in here. Part of my study that I do when I prepare for a sermon is to look at all the variations. And there's never more than a handful. And most of them are really minor. I have the tools to do the same type of analysis to decide which is the most likely original. And so far in my studies, it's never been different than this Greek New Testament, which is what most modern translations are based on. It turns out that verse 34 was not in the oldest Greek manuscripts of the book of Acts. Apparently it was added by a scribe to try to add continuity to the narrative. Because later in verse 40, Silas went with Paul from Antioch on a second missionary journey. But this verse doesn't change the meaning at all, right? So why does the verse appear in the New King James Version? The writers of that version made the decision to use the same Greek sources as the original King James Version and explain the differences with footnotes. 
it pays to read the footnotes if you want to understand what's going on. Here's my point, though, the whole thing. The accuracy of the Word of God is critically important to our faith. Thousands of people have spent countless years verifying and maintaining its integrity through the centuries. So our last verse, verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. Will and I aren't pastors, but we are your elders, and part of our responsibility is to share God's word with you, to help you understand it better, so that you can know God better. We want to be examples to you of what Jesus taught. So you can do the same with your families, friends, and co-workers. My last point, helping others understand the Word of God is fulfilling the Great Commission. Remember the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus is speaking to His disciples and He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And again, in Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Let's pray. Father, it's so my desire that we should all grow to be more like you, more like your son. We want to, that's what we want. I, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit that can help me to uh, present it and, and that helps us all understand it better. For without, without your spirit, we'd get it all wrong. And help us not only to understand it, but to live our lives by it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.